With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. The radio show is completely unscripted and we have open telephone lines and we've had the most extraordinary discoveries and conversations and the most infuriating conversations. I've gotten into shouting matches uh, with people and it's fascinating and it's wonderful and I love it. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Ramon Alam. And I'm your other host, June Thomas. June, when I was a kid learning about journalism, we were taught the five W's. Who, what, when, where, why. So my journalistically sound first <laughs> question for you this week is, who is your guest and why? <laughs> well, my guest and the possessor of the voice we heard at the top of the show is Leon Krauser, an amazing journalist I had the pleasure of working with when he hosted Slate's Spanish language podcast, El Guepas en Español which was in 2017-2018. But that was just a side project for him. His incredibly demanding real job is as a news anchor at a Univision channel in Los Angeles, the biggest Spanish language market in the US. And I am endlessly curious about that particular line of work. June, you know, you're a journalist yourself. So <laughs> I'm curious about why you'd want to speak to a journalist for this show. You know, don't you already kind of know what that line of work is all about? I have no idea. There are so many different kinds of journalism, and I know nothing about that particular kind. You know, in the old days, journalism was said to come in two flavors, print or broadcast. Now those lines are irretrievably blurred, and that's just the beginning. You know, there are some foundational principles of ethics and so on that apply across all the different types of journalism. But, you know, covering news for a local paper, writing a long profile for a magazine, talking on a podcast like we are, just all the different kinds of things you can do. They're all required different skills. They need to serve different expectations for the audience. So I just wanted Leon to tell me about the world of being an anchorman. And I also wanted to know about Spanish language media. So Leon was a twofer. And I also want to just point out, as I say, he's incredibly successful. He anchors nightly newscasts in the nation's biggest Spanish language market. He does a daily radio show. He moderated a Mexican presidential debate. And I always want to get tips from people who are really good at their jobs. I personally don't consider myself a journalist at all, although I occasionally work <laughs> in some proximity to folks who are, as on this podcast or on Slate's Outward podcast and when I freelance for magazines or newspapers. I mostly think of journalism as a trade, so I'm curious how you think creativity figures into that line of work. First of all, you are definitely a journalist, Roman, even if it is just one of the many things you do so beautifully. Um, but to answer your question, I think creativity creeps in at absolutely every phase of journalism, other than maybe literally typing up a baseball box score where you are communicating pure facts Journalists are constantly making choices about what to write about, how to frame the story, 
how to find characters who will illuminate a situation, deciding which questions to ask when you're gathering information, writing in an engaging way that fits the format. It's all creativity. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing more. And I think our Slate Plus listeners have a little extra something to look forward to this week. They do. I asked Leon about the biggest misconceptions non-Latinos have about the Latin American community in the US. And he definitely has some thoughts on that score, so you don't want to miss that. Slate Plus members, of course, get all the good stuff. Bonus segments of your favorite Slate podcasts, ad-free podcasts at all times, and you can browse everything on Slate.com and never hit a paywall. Really, though, Slate Plus members get to feel virtuous for supporting the great journalism being done by our colleagues. If you're not a Slate Plus member, it really could not be simpler. It's $1 for the first month. To sign up, go to slate.com slash working plus. Now, let's listen in on June's conversation with Leon Krause. This episode of Working is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in-depth interviews and discussions of craft and the creative process or whatever the heck it is all the other podcasts you listen to do, you call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Who are you and what do you do? My name is uh, Leon Krause. I'm a journalist, but my 9 to 5 or my 2 p.m. to midnight is a news anchoring job at Univision's Los Angeles station, Univision 34 KMEX. So I'm a news anchor. So we have a lot to talk about, um, but I'm, I am really curious about what the job of a news anchor involves um, in England that job is often known as newsreader, which severely downplays the journalistic side of the job. Can you kind of talk us through a day in your life at KMEX? How does it begin? My day begins very early. It does not begin at 2 p.m. when I walk into the station, but it begins very early as any newsman's job begins. As soon as the day begins, we we read the news, we get to know what's happening in the world, and we try to interpret it and find an angle that's interesting and important for the local community. Mm. Uh, then we have a couple of uh, editorial meetings before 2 p.m. I walk into the studio at uh, 2 p.m. or the newsroom. We have another meeting. We uh, run through what the day's uh, newscasts will look like, the 6 p.m. and the 11 p.m. Then I go up to the fourth floor at 4 p.m. where I anchor a radio show every day from 4 to 5. Oh, my goodness. I 
go uh, again down to studio level, do someone does my makeup, uh, <laughs> which I find always humiliating the whole process. Uh, what I'm grateful for, certainly <laughs> in the in the age of H HD, because I do have a face for radio and <laughs> podcasting. And then at 6 p.m. I go on air, and you can then rinse and repeat for the 11 p.m. newscast, and I get back home at midnight. Wow! Now you do two newscasts. Um, are they different, or is it just that news has changed from the first to the second? They are similar. They are similar. Again, this is uh, this is local news. Uh, so the, there's a core of the show that is similar, although we try to present it differently because the audiences uh, change. I mean, most networks at that time, 11 and certainly 11.30, have comedy on, right? Mm -hmm. Talk shows on. We, mm -hmm. we, we have news. Uh, so it's a different kind of audience. But this being local news, things do happen at sometimes the very local level that we incorporate uh, into each show that make it different. We have news alerts, um, you know, very, very local news, but things that people really want to learn. So can you give an example um, of just the type of story that you think is particularly important for a local news uh, show that might not be of something that would make it into the national newscast? Well, sometimes we do begin a newscast with a tree that has fallen on, uh, on a house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens. But many times, especially in a city like LA, we open with, and, and again, we are a local newscast but also we are a local newscast for the Hispanic community. Mm. So we focus on the challenges, very concrete challenges that the community faces. For example, recently uh, there has been a wave of attacks against street vendors. Mm -hmm. And we have covered that frequently and intensely because it is simply uh, outrageous and repugnant and, and unbearable for the community for them not to work and be able to work in a safe fashion. And mm. I, I am sure that uh, uh, an attack on a street vendor might not merit opening the national newscast, mm. but it certainly is a story that catches our attention because we try to alert the community to the dangers out there. We try to guide the community as to how to protect itself, how to uh, uh, fight for their rights. Uh, because our role is is certainly uh, peculiar. Uh, it goes beyond journalism in many ways. We are not ABC, NBC, or CBS. We serve a community that requires this kind of guidance in a daily basis and asks for it in a daily basis. So why do you say that the uh, the Latino community or the Spanish speaking community has a different set of requirements from ABC, NBC? It sounds like you think they require some advocacy or, yes. or a different kind of information. Well, part of our audience is, uh, is the immigrant community. Mm -hmm. Some of them less now, certainly, than in the past, but some of them are first arrivals who are learning how to navigate this country that is now their adoptive country. But there are many people 
that have been here for years and years mm -hmm. and years, who have made a life in the United States, who have jobs, families, friendships, and I could go on and on and on, but are still undocumented. Mm -hmm. And they face harassment, persecution, and of course during the Trump years this was made much worse, and uh, look to us for guidance as to how to uh, navigate a country that sometimes is still hostile to them, even though we live in California, that is the uh, immigrant state par excellence. Mm. Mm. So we do, we do help the community navigate those, those challenges. And in that way, we are different from, of course, the general market stations, the English language stations, mm -hmm. and even other Hispanic or Univision stations across the country. I mean, when you think of the way the, the stories and, and the stories that probably Channel 23 in Miami covers, certainly not the same as in Los Angeles or Texas, Arizona, uh, the Southwest uh, United States. What's the most important uh, news source for you? What's the one that you couldn't live without? If you were restricted to one, what would you read or, or take in? Might not be read. Again, this being a, a, a local newscast, the LA Times is crucial to what I do. The paper has been uh, growing, has always been good, but now it's even better. Mm. And it has become very aware, it wasn't in my humble opinion, very aware of the Latino community in Los Angeles. It surprises me that it wasn't before, uh, or at least not as much as it is now, since it, it's, the paper is called the Los Angeles Times. <laughs> but it is now, and that's mm. what matters. So mm. for me, the LA Times and my colleagues there have been doing fantastic work, not only in LA, but elsewhere. The way they cover Mexico, for example, is really, really wonderful. So if I had to choose one, it would probably be the LA Times. But then there are a bunch of lesser-known not even publications, but Twitter feeds from mm. people uh, across the community, people who cover Boyle Heights specifically, people who cover uh, South LA, the other areas of Southern California that I find absolutely crucial. Uh, and there are many, many, many. I, I couldn't just name mm. one. Now, you obviously, we're speaking in English, you are fully bilingual. Is part of the Univision um, purpose or your purpose to kind of take in the English language news and to be sure that it is communicated to that portion of the Spanish-speaking community that does not necessarily uh, speak English or that doesn't necessarily take in the English language media? That for me is very important, for the community to be aware of the world. And it's not something that, um, that I came up with. It's something that I know they demand and need. Sometimes I think that we have made the mistake, and I, when I say we, I mean uh, Spanish language media in the United States, of only focusing on a few topics or the things that we think uh, should interest mm -hmm. the Latino community. And that's just uh, a stereotype. And re it's really wrong. The community is voracious 
And the, I cannot tell you just recently how many times people have asked me, hey, so what's your take on, on the, the conflict in the Middle East? Mm -hmm. Could you explain to us what's happening in X or Y region? Mm -hmm. So, yes, I do try to bridge that, uh, that divide and explain the world beyond Latino interests in the United States, quote-unquote, um, to the community, to the audience. Mm -hmm. I have to say that when I have watched uh, news on Univision, specifically the national news, not really the local newscast, but I've always been struck by the internationalism of it. Um, you know, and I understand it. I'm sure that, uh, you know, the audience has roots in a lot of different countries. Um, and as you say, just has an interest in a lot of different countries. But it feels to me as if there is just a much broader uh, sense of what is almost like what's the home news for people. Um, how does that kind of work out in a local newscast? Because you're not quite talking about the news in Venezuela or, or, or maybe you are. You know, the network news uh, on Univision is much more international than the network news in English. For sure. Uh, and that's interesting. But the local news on Univision is less interested in national news mm. than if you tuned into the local news on, on ABC in LA or uh, New York or almost any other large market, I'm sure you would find uh, national news being covered in those local newscasts. Mm -hmm. We do not do that. Uh, we are very local uh, on, on Univision. Mm. So I think that maybe we should f try to find the middle ground and that's mm -hmm. something I actively try to do like I was like I just explained mm -hmm. not only on TV but on radio and other platforms because I do think that ju just as we care about what happens in the, the countries of origin of the community on the national newscast I think that we have to actively explain and bring into the conversation national politics uh, and that goes, and that goes back to a deeper conversation, uh, a deeper debate, which is the role of the Latino community in, uh, again, politics in the United States, specifically our community in Los Angeles, which is not the Cuban American community in Florida, or the Dominican Puerto Rican community in New York, but mm -hmm. our community, the Mexican American community, the Salvadoran American, Guatemalan American, Honduran American. How do we bring that community into the national conversation and the national conversation to that community? I think it's crucial for the future of uh, the Hispanic community in general. I mean, one thing, too, that strikes me is that I think, um, you know, English speaking people often act as if immigration is the only issue that affects, you know, Latino Americans. And obviously, immigration is a huge issue. But there are many, many, many Spanish-speaking people whose immigration status was settled generations ago. You know, that feels to me like something that we, English speakers, think is this huge issue. Um, it, how much of a role does coverage of immigration play in your coverage? It's an infuriating misconception. <laughs> frankly, that the community only cares about immigration. This could not be farther from the truth. Uh, I remember when I interviewed Choc Rocha, the main Latino strategist for the Sanders campaign, mm. uh, and as, as you know, and our listeners probably know, 
Bernie Sanders was incredibly successful with the Latino community, very successful. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is, among other things, Chuck Rocha's work. And, you know, he explained to me that the first thing they realize is that Latinos care about many other things <laughs> uh, other than immigration. They care about all the things that Americans care about, health, education, jobs. So uh, we realize that. And we try to offer that mix, that editorial mix in our newscasts. Now, having said that, the last few years have been particularly complicated, mm -hmm. to say the least, mm -hmm. because there was an active persecution of the community. Nativist rhetoric really scared the community and it became an urgent issue beyond the uh, wish for an, you know, comprehensive immigration reform and the things that we have spoken about and still are debating uh, for, for decades now, it became more urgent. And uh, that made immigration more of a focus. Mm. But other than that, and it's, an it's the elephant in the room, but other than that, we do try to offer uh, a, a more complex, diverse mix of, uh, of topics and angles. Yeah. Um, I'm just realizing, you know, I think of, um, you know, the, the TV news as being very scripted. You know, you're reading from a teleprompter. I don't know if that's true. But then you do an hour every day of radio, which, again, in my view, is totally unscripted. Do you find it challenging to, to kind of go between those two extremes? Well, it's intense. <laughs> the, the radio show is completely unscripted. And we have open lines, open telephone lines, so we never know. And there's no screening, mm. so we never know. Wow. <laughs> and quite literally, never know who's <laughs> going to come on, uh, on air with us. And we've had the most extraordinary discoveries and conversations and the most infuriating conversations. And we've gotten into, I've gotten into shouting matches uh, with people. Yes, uh, often I would even say, <laughs> and uh, and it's fascinating and it's wonderful and I love it. Huh. And if you ask me, it's what I love to do the most. Mm. The TV side of things, I deeply respect the reach that TV affords a journalist, mm. and I'm grateful for it, and I love my job. But through this, times and formats are very restricted mm. I, and and many I, i've never had anyone with the exception of one segment that i developed for univision which is very on news like or uh, n not as orthodox as you know news is with the exception of that one segment um i've never had anyone tell me i heard you on tv everyone says i, I saw you on tv and by the way a nice suit <laughs> Your tie was crooked. While on the radio or on podcasts, everyone is listening to you, for better or worse. Yeah. You only have your voice. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, it's very different, but it makes my life more interesting. I, I, I really need my, my daily exercise of jousting with the community. I get that. And so what was the segment that you developed that you felt was 
listened to and, and really engaged with? Well, it's uh, called La Mesa. Ah. I am very creative, so it's <laughs> called La Mesa, and it's uh, <laughs> a table. Uh-huh. A table I, I bought um, years ago now, a plastic round, brown plastic table <laughs> that we bought at, uh, I guess, Home Depot with a couple of plastic chairs. And, and you know, the when I first got to Univision, I realized that part of the mission of the place was community-oriented journalism, which is something I've always loved. And so uh, I said, we're going to really uh, put this to the test. And so we bought the, the table, a couple of chairs, and we began taking the table and placing it on corners chosen at random all across Southern California, and then we took it elsewhere uh, with a couple of mics. And I sat there without any makeup, thank God, without any tie, <laughs> without any jacket, without any notes, without any pen or paper, nothing, and invited people to, to sit across the table from me, and I began every conversation with, ¿Cómo se llama usted? Mm -hmm. What's your name? And the idea was just to uh, ask people to tell us their life stories. And I first, at first, frankly, June, I thought that people would just stand up and say, why am I going to share anything with you? Um, it ended up becoming, I would say, my life's work. And if, if, oh. if I could do only that in that format and, and, and other formats, I would do only that. Uh, I, I've interviewed, I guess by now, close to a thousand people. I, wow. I published a book with the 50 best stories from La Mesa. It became a daily segment on Univision LA. Wow. We cut down the interviews to three minutes. And it became really my life's work. And, and, and the, the one thing that people ask me every t almost every time, like, where, where is your mesa? <laughs> where is your mesita? When are you bringing your mesita? How, where, how, ca how can I sit there with you and tell you my story? Mm -hmm. um, very, it's been very illuminating and humbling and, and, uh, and touching. We'll be back with more of June's conversation with Leon Krause after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I just wanted to take a moment to say, if you're enjoying what we do on this show, please make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a minute of what we get up to here on Working. And if you'd like to be a part of what we do here, that's easy too. Write us an email, or even better, leave us a voicemail asking for help with whatever your creative problem is. Send your questions or quandaries to us at workingatslate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-9675. All right, let's get back to June's conversation with Leon Krause. I know from your time as host of El Gafes en Español, you have a fantastic broadcaster voice. You're very fluent. You're very, you know, you're very funny, but you also have that, that broadcast voice. 
Are you aware of kind of speaking differently? Do you know where you where you found that voice? Do you think you talk differently when you're on the radio as when you're talking to your friends or even speaking in Spanish and in English? Well, in, in English, I have had to learn that it is allowed to make pauses. Um, you you speak Spanish very well yourself and you know that Spanish is a a language that uh, is usually spoken very I mean we we just go 100 (laughs) miles an hour and if you try to do that in English even if you're a native English speaker it doesn't work and although I consider myself fairly bilingual I have had to learn to take these poses that are also mm. very dramatic and give me authority. <laughs> you know, it's the Obama, oh, it's, it's the Obama uh, secret. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Although yeah. interviewing Obama and have him do, uh, take the, those long poses is infuriating, I can tell you by, by experience, especially when you just have seven minutes with the guy. Mm. But um, <laughs> this idea that when the camera turns on, you immediately become this person and you start talking like this, it's it's ridiculous. And I think that, especially nowadays, people can't see through that. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're not authentic and yeah. you're trying to uh, change your voice and, you know, <laughs> turn into an actor, uh, yeah. stay classy, San Diego, <laughs> it's just, just ridiculous. So I think I am the same guy on the news um, that I am off the news. You know, you're from uh, an incredibly intellectual family. Your father is an extremely renowned writer, historian. I think all your brothers are writers, uh, all the ones I'm familiar with anyway. Um, A great intellectual tradition. But then you're a guy who is a broadcaster. You know, I remember coming across the cover of the a magazine Kien magazine and there you oh were with goodness. your with your wife and sons and you were the cover of the magazine like you're a personality um how do you cope with that kind of coverage of your personal life when you're very much you know a man of the mind one thing uh, and in, in english it doesn't translate that well uh, you might help me but in in spanish I would say that la fama no es lo mismo que el prestigio, right? Uh, Fame mm -hmm. is not the same thing as prestige, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, renown. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. I I am not, I I don't care about being famous. What I I want is to to have some sort of lasting legacy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, for me, writing affords me that as well. Mm. It's a challenge because it takes time and intellectual effort but I, the, the things I'm most proud of, other than La Mesa, which is the thing I am most proud of, mm. is, uh, you know, the, the long-form pieces that I've written uh, that have afforded me the time to tell a story through language, through writing, mm. because mm. writing was my first love, and it is still my, my, probably my, my biggest love. I wish I had more time to yeah. do it. I don't know how you do. No, me neither. <laughs> now, you write... In Spanish, do you have column in El Universal? Or, yeah. Um, and also, very often in English, until quite recently, you were writing, I think, every two weeks for Slate. Obviously, you, you, you think very clearly, very well, very journalistically in both English and Spanish. But do you find the same parts of the writing process easy or difficult in both languages? Is it different? 
I like writing in English better. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, less baroque. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, the, the precision of writing in English, and not only writing in English, because you can obviously choose the way you write in English, and it can also be pretty baroque, mm -hmm. but for us journalists, the best tradition Uh, the tradition of the New Yorker and uh, and uh, the publications that we that we love uh, and Slate is right up there because it, it has it, it was always my dream to to write for <laughs> Slate and it's an accomplishment that uh, it, it's it's kind of a bucket list accomplishment that I will always be proud of and it will always be my home. I mean, it asks that of the writer mm. to be precise, mm -hmm. to have this rhythm, to build correctly. And I've gotten used to that, and I enjoy it immensely. You have just a bonkers amount of work that you choose to do, including teaching at the Annenberg School of Journalism. What do you do there, and why do you why do you do that? Uh, well, that's a, <laughs> that <laughs> last part of the question was was very, <laughs> why why? Well, let me tell you, uh, I don't do it anymore. But ah. the two the two years that I was there as uh, the the Edinburgh chair in, in journalism, the dean of the school, uh, Willow Bay, approached me uh, years ago and and asked me if I wanted would like to consider that position, mm -hmm. and I had taught in, in Mexico uh, at Tec de Monterrey and another university. Mm -hmm. As soon as I came out graduate school, I, I went back and I began teaching. And I told her that I, I loved the, the experience of teaching, had never done it in English. Uh, but I would like to, if I were to do it, I would like to do a community-oriented journalism project. And so I turned La Mesa into mm -hmm. La Casa. And so I embedded teams of uh, my students with Latino families, and they produced 15-minute, 18-minute documentaries by semester's end, chronicling the life of Hispanic families in Los Angeles. So it goes wow. back to, to my passion for community-oriented journalism. And that's why I did it. And I would love to do it again, frankly. I loved it. So in May 2018, you were the first journalist from a U.S. media outlet chosen to moderate a presidential debate in Mexico. I believe you moderated the first debate of that election cycle. First of all, I'm just kind of curious, what was that like? But also, how did you prepare for that job? Oh, my goodness. I've never in my life felt so much pressure. Oof, I, bet. I mean, as soon as I learned that I had been given that honor, I reached out through my friend Cecilia Vega to Martha Raddatz, who had moderated Uh, two, one presidential debate and one vice presidential debate, if I remember correctly, and 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 is a journalist that I deeply respect. Mm. And she was very kind to me, and she took my phone call, and the first thing she asked me was, uh, "Are you terrified?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, uh, I mean, I I, I am. I, I feel <laughs> some pressure." And he said, and "She said, no, you should feel terrified," <laughs> and she was completely right. It's a terrifying experience. I've never felt so much pressure. The only time I, I have felt a similar amount of pressure was when I threw the first pitch at a Dodgers game. Oh, and that was, that was, uh, but I, you know, it did was you, a, did you, did you get it over the plate? How yes, was I, yes, I did. And I, I, I respect you knowing the baseball terminology <laughs> because I, I think you're the only English woman or man <laughs> ever to know baseball terminology. Yes, I did. It was a, it was a slow strike. Oh. Uh, and so, 
what what I did was I studied like I have never studied in my life. I mean, I, I think that when you interview anyone, you should know more about the interviewee than what the <laughs> interviewee knows about him or herself. I took that rule to heart. I studied like a maniac. I stopped drinking coffee. Oh. I stopped drinking anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I got into a... I, I just began training as, as if I was preparing for a, you know, for a boxing match, a title, wow. title bout. Or to become a monk, you know? It, well, like. yes, actually. And, and my, my, my wife could tell you about <laughs> that. It was, it was, uh, she was so happy when it, when oh. it was done. And then I just studied, took it incredibly seriously, tried to stay uh, relaxed, and then I trusted what I had in mind. Mm. And uh, the one thing, I'll tell you this quick, quick story. The one thing that, you know, was with me all, all through that preparation was an interview I once had with Fernando Valenzuela. Fernando Valenzuela, legendary Mexican pitcher, who in 1981, in his first season, real full first season in the majors, had the, uh, the responsibility of pitching the third game of the World Series after the Dodgers had lost the first two games against the Yankees. So they mm -hmm. came back to Dodger Stadium and Fernando was given the ball. I think he was 21 years old. And when I interviewed him, he's, he's a man of few words, very <laughs> stoic, very quiet. But when I interviewed him, I asked him, Fernando, how did you do it? How on earth could you do that at 21 and win that game? And by the way, the Dodgers ended up winning the World Series. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, you know what? I knew what I had here. And he tapped his left arm. What he meant was, I was so well prepared. There was no doubt in my mind that what I had learned, how I had trained, how I had prepared for this defining moment of my career was all there in my left arm. And by the time I got to that debate stage, I knew what I had there in front of me in my questions and the way I had prepared. But it was, it was terrifying. But the moment <laughs> it ended... I wanted to do it all over again. Leon, I always just want to keep talking to you, but I will I will stop now so you can go to your 16 other jobs for the day. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Raise your hand if you are burnt out. If email is something that gives you like a shiver in your spine. You are not alone. I'm Shirley Leung, host of Say More from the Boston Globe. Our new series is Beating Burnout. We'll hear from Cal Newport, Krista Tibbet, and more. We'll talk about breaking bad habits and forming new ones. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Say more from the Boston Globe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. June, I really love learning about the lives of strangers on this show. 
But I find I always learn about the lives of my co-hosts as well. June Thomas, you are a fluent <laughs> Spanish speaker? Well, Leon is a world-class flatterer. But yes, I do speak Spanish. I lived in Spain for a couple of years. So my Spanish is peninsular, more like Pedro Almodovar than Guillermo del Toro. But I absolutely love languages. I speak a few and I'm always trying to learn more. I've been spending a lot of time during the pandemic improving my Japanese But having taught English abroad, I think the key here is that I possess the willingness to be clone myself, to just being willing to try to speak in a new language. The people who have the most difficulty learning languages are those who are afraid of making mistakes or who want to preserve their dignity. There is no dignity in effective language learning ever. <laughs> I, I have to say, I find the particular intelligence to speak more than one language, just absolutely fascinating, sort of close to a superpower. <laughs> you know, you might remember that I spoke to Damien Searles on this show earlier this year. Damien works as a translator, and I was just floored by his ability with language. Hearing Kraza describe bouncing between English and Spanish, both in his broadcasting work and in his writing, I mean, I just marvel at that kind of thing. But you know it happens in households all over the world, and especially perhaps in this country. Didn't that bouncing from one language to another happen in the household where you grew up, Ramon? You know, it didn't really. My parents um, are both from Bangladesh, and they spoke Bengali between them. Mm. And I think it became a kind of private, adults-only language. Ah. And in part because the kids, being so American as we are, um, really resisted Uh, learning it. Ah. And you're right, it does happen in households all over the country. And in fact, it's frustrating to me that we kind of denigrate the particular intelligence of the immigrant. Like that's one of the ways in which sure. we do it. You know, it's yeah. really an incredible skill. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But yeah, to get back to your original question, Leon is one of those extraordinary people who isn't just capable of speaking two languages with extraordinary fluency, but also is capable of writing and broadcasting at an incredibly high level in both. I am absolutely rabid with jealousy about those individuals. I think also of Masha Gessen, who wrote for and edited magazines in Russian and is also one of our very best writers in English. It's just not fair. Hearing Krause talk about Univision in Los Angeles made me think of our shared adoptive hometowns newspaper, which is, in my estimation, the New York Times. You know, Los Angeles is so vast. It's home to such a huge population of Spanish speakers who require a news operation in their tongue. But it's also just this collection of tiny enclaves and communities that sort of require a local news outlet. And the way Krause talks about Univision is as both of those things. Yes, I have spent a lot more time watching the national news on Univision. Um, I confess I don't pay a lot of attention to local news in any language or in any medium, which is not something I'm proud of, but there you go. But when I do, I'm always struck by the sense of mission that Spanish language networks bring to the news, especially local news. They have a sense, a very clear sense, I think, of what their audience needs, what will serve them, what will help them, what will entertain them. And I think that makes for good journalism. It was really interesting to hear Krause sort of push against my own perceptions, right? For the Hispanic community in this country, immigration is an important issue, but that's because it's an important issue for all citizens, right? So certainly the Hispanic community also cares about learning about healthcare or Middle East policy and all the things that matter to anyone alive right now. Totally. It's one of those 
distortions, I think, that happens when you center yourself and your experience, when you're thinking about another community. I mean, to outsiders, it might seem like immigration is topic one. But for an overwhelming majority of Latinx people in this country, immigration isn't a live issue in their lives the way that paying for healthcare or college or civil rights or just a whole lot of other things are. Absolutely. Krause does so much. <laughs> he, he's on television, he's on the radio, he writes books. I was really struck by the distinction that he drew between working on camera and working in the medium of audio. You know, it really is true that with the latter, you can be more assured that the audience is listening to you. Yeah, I love that anecdote. And I know from experience that listeners connect in a really direct way when they're listening to a person on a podcast or on the radio, much more closely than they do in print. And for Leon, I'm sure the completely unscripted gladiator ring of talk radio is incredibly stimulating. You know, instead of standing in your suit reading from a teleprompter, you're just you know, shooting the breeze with Bautista from Boyle Heights, you know, and it just happens that there's a few hundred thousand people listening in, but I can see him just really loving that. It requires the kind of presence and focus that you just, you know, he can't, no producer can prepare him to go on air and do that. No, it's just pure, pure, unmediated, just person to person communication. Yeah. I really enjoyed hearing about La Mesa, which is a recurring segment that Krause developed. He called it unorthodox, you know, and maybe it is from the perspective of old school journalism, but it struck me that it's also somehow in keeping with his sort of larger reverence for the stories of real people, you know, not the presidents or the powerful, but just people. And you can hear, I think, how seriously he takes his work and how much he considers it a service to those people. So there's kind of a logic there. No, totally. Like the number of projects that Leon takes on really doesn't make sense, (laughs) except that he obviously just absolutely loves communicating with people, all kinds of people. You know, when we did El Gafes en Español, he hosted every week. They did three news segments, they did an interview every single week. He was the opposite of phoning it in. And that was just one of the extra things that he was doing at the time on top of this incredibly demanding job. But I think we all know people who are just so into something They just want to take on one more commitment, not because they need to, but because it seems to fuel them rather than sapping their energy, you know, and talking to people clearly fuels Leon. I have to add that sort of selfishly, I came away from this conversation with a renewed appreciation for my own good luck. It just so happens that I am working on a story for The New Yorker at the moment. It's one of the longest assignments <laughs> I've ever had. It's really hard work for me. Um, but Krause reminded me that this is a dream come true and that it's, you know, when you're working at that level, you know, you owe it to yourself and to the work itself to get back in there and keep plugging away. Absolutely. I, I feel the same way. Sometimes when I'm struggling with something, you know, piece of writing, I've been working on it for hours, I feel like my work-life balance is all messed up, I'm feeling really sorry for myself. And then often there's a moment where I realize, well, you are kind of living your dream. And it's not just that I have chosen to take on this tricky task. Actually, I fought for the chance to do it because there's really no better feeling than getting to do work that you think is important and find fascinating and hopefully there's some fun or at least a feeling of accomplishment between the really challenging parts. Like, the hard assignments are the great assignments. 
Well, we're out of time for the week. I need to get back to work anyway. <laughs> so we hope you've enjoyed listening in. And if you have, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You'll never miss an episode. And we'll give you one final Slate Plus pitch. Slate Plus members get zero ads on their Slate podcasts. They get bonus episodes of favorite shows. And they never hit a paywall across Slate.com. I also hope you'd like to support the work that we do here on Working. It's only a dollar for the first month. To learn more, go to slate.com slash working plus. Thanks to Leon Krause for being our guest and to our producer, Cameron Drews. Make sure to tune in next week for Isaac Butler's conversation with Marcus Watson, who is an intimacy coordinator. Until then, get back to work. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.